Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Number one, I absolutely, I loved your TED talk. Oh, thank you. I, I thought it was so well done. It was, you, you, you gave people information that it's, even, even though it was done in 2010, you still gave people information if you listen to it now, that it's not just like repetitive, the same thing over and over again that we hear about our health, about cancer, which I thought was, and you, and you broke it down in such layman's terms that like anybody can understand it. I thought it was fantastic. Well, that, that's great. No, thank you for, for saying that. Um, you know, one of the things that's different about me than a lot of other folks that are in the wellness space is that, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a physician that, you know, I'm, I'm trained to run ICUs and emergency rooms. So right. I'm not sort of a fair weather doc. And the other thing is that um, I'm a real research scientist. So I actually do the work that other people talk about. <laughs> so right. for me, um, uh, there's so much going on in the research world. And last year I actually became a COVID researcher as well. Yeah, I know. Um, so the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, what really lights my fire is I, I love not just learning, which I love to do, but I, I love discovering, you know, and the whole, the whole idea um, about a scientist that's different than a doctor is that when you're trained as a doctor, you have this kind of box of knowledge that you practice from, right? And mm -hmm. you, you would hope that that's whoever's practicing is, you know, knows their box really well. But you can't fix everything with what's in a box. And so this is where my, what I do as a scientist comes in. And what's exciting about the scientists is you have to assume that what's not in the box is where the answers are. So as a scientist, you pop out of the box to right. kind of pursue the next level of knowledge. And so for me, um, you know, that's what I love about food is medicine. That's what I love about um, health and wellness is like, I'm not coming at this from, I'm not following a trail. I'm sort of ask, just asking questions. And if I don't know the answer, I, I sort of, I, I go to my, I kind of retreat back to my wheelhouse to say, well, all right, so how do we discover something new? How do we learn something about this that we didn't know before? Right. And you've done that. You've done that with also <clears throat> your new book, which I'm going to say is a, is a New York Times bestseller. And it should be, by the way, Eat to Beat Disease. That's right behind you. Um, and I found again in your book, you not only do you give inf really good information that's not so repetitive that people have heard, but you also quantify certain things. And what we're going to get into all of this, like let's just we're just going to keep on going. We're going to just start right now. I was okay. I was saying that actually just because I genuinely like it, and then I realized I'm going to do your proper intro and all that later. Okay. Sure. Um, but so number one, sure. Okay, let me just start with this. Okay, so. We have to, we, today we have Dr. William Lee, who is a renowned international doctor, uh, a researcher. He's got a TED Talk that has had over 11 million views. And let me tell you, that TED Talk, if anyone has not seen that TED Talk, they have to watch this TED Talk because it is all about how we can starve cancer by the foods we eat. And um, Dr. Lee does a spectacular job of breaking it down in such easy, explainable, um, easy ways that we can actually, practical ways, I should say, that we can actually do this ourselves. Um, and of course, his book is this New York Times bestseller, Eat to Beat Disease. And the TED Talk, 
was in 2010. The book is uh, fairly new. And he's given also just great information that's different, new, innovative that we can do for our immune system, for to, for cancer, uh, and just so much else. So let's just say thank you. I'm so I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. So let's just say, let's just start with that. Um, well, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on, and uh, you know, uh, there's there's so much going on in the world that seems um, overwhelming. And one of the things that I love doing getting up every morning is to sort of look at where the light is actually shining at the end of different tunnels that we all care about. And that starts with our health. Absolutely. And you and you do a really good job of really giving people really ways that they can take ownership of their health um, and really improve it. So let's just start with what... Um, a couple, a couple of things. You talk about this in your talk, TED Talk. You talk about this in your book, uh, angiogenesis. What is angiogenesis? Yeah, it's a fancy Greek word that's actually something very simple. It's actually how our bodies grow blood vessels. Angio is blood. Genesis is growth. And, you know, sort of like it's like a it's like a word that seems like a tongue twister, like antibiotic. hundred years ago, people couldn't pronounce it, didn't know what it meant. Now everybody knows. So angiogenesis is one of these words that is starting to get into the main lexicon that everybody knows. But the reason it's important is because our blood vessels represent a 60,000 mile network of highways and byways that are packed inside our bodies. If you can imagine 60,000 miles, literally, if I were to pull out all the blood vessels in my body or yours and line them up end to end, you'd form a thread that would circle the earth twice. So, wow, that channel brings oxygen and nutrients to every single cell, every single organ. And so whatever we breathe, whatever we eat, gets to our cells um, through our blood vessels. So that's why it's so important. And how can that, that's a, that's a, one of the pillars, I suppose, in the book, right? Like you talk about this, um, what, and, and what is, and how does that kind of help us with um, helping ourselves so much to speak with cancer, with helping our bodies be uh, optimized? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, basically, when I uh, spent the last 25 years working on new biotech treatments to conquer diseases, so we've been involved with 41 different FDA-approved drugs that are used to treat cancer, complications, diabetes, and even blindness. And, um, and they've all been very successful. But one of the things about drugs is that you really can't use them for prevention uh, and you um, uh, because they all have side effects. And so that's what got me to think about food. Now, in my world of biotechnology, there are companies, biotech companies spending billions of dollars trying to figure out how to get blood vessels into better control, grow them when you need them to heal tissues get rid of them, mow them down when, when they're too high. It's like a, weed, like a weed overgrowing a garden. How do you actually mow that down? And, you know, drug companies spend a lot of time and energy and it can take a decade, a billion dollars. But what I figured out is that Mother Nature is much smarter than any biotech company and has already laced into foods that she has put into our garden, into our spice cabinet, into the farmer's market, um, uh, these elements in foods that actually can help our body get our blood vessels in perfect shape. When our blood flow is good, our circulation is good, 
we can actually feed our hearts and our brains and our muscles and stay in great shape as we age. And also, if there are diseases that are trying to pop up where extra blood vessels are trying to grow, like in cancer, as an example, um, uh, basically what we eat in our foods can mow down those extra blood vessels and starve the cancer so it can't grow. That's how powerful healthy angiogenesis is. Amazing. Is there, I, and I, I mean, I, you talk a lot about in your book about the grand slammers and you give tons of different food um, uh, options for people to know what is good for what. And we're going to get all into the weeds there later. But since we're talking about cancer right now, um, you're saying basically like your blood vessels, you, you can, you need them to be helpful in sometimes and then other times it can be detrimental, right? So uh, what, can you, can you talk about a little bit of the, what foods would you say for cancer specifically can help with this process? Like the foods that we should definitely start if it, for cancer. What are the foods that we should really be focusing on to integrate? I know you're all about not taking away foods, but more like adding. You're all about like adding, not feeling eliminated. Like you're not, not the elimination diet, basically. Yeah. Well, so look, I mean, I'm a, I'm a medical doctor and I was trained to practice medicine by writing prescriptions and sending people to surgery and everything else. But I'm a scientist. And as a scientist, what I'm always interested in doing is discovering better ways to doing things. What do we not know? And you know, when it, uh, here's something I, uh, I'll share with um, your viewers and listeners. Um, I did cancer research, you know, in, in a lab, famous labs, and um, I realized something amazing. In a cancer research lab, you can go to any university or uh, that's doing cancer research. You can get a super smart cancer researcher. They can go online, search a chemo drug, hit order. FedEx will bring it the next day, and you can take a spoonful of it, pop it into your experiment, and within a few days, maybe even a few hours, you'll know if this powder actually um, can stop cancer. On the other hand, if you were to pick up the phone and call in a salad or a pizza to be delivered <laughs> to the same lab and ask that same cancer researcher, as brilliant as he or she might be, how to actually test whether the peppers or the mushrooms or the onions or the olives or the anchovies can actually have a better, good effect. They will sit there and scratch their heads. So that's what I set my, that's what I set out to do. How do we study food as medicine? How do we actually um, use the same tools that are used for drug development, right? Those are the no holds bar, real science, you know, nobody, you know, you can, you can, you know, you can be skeptical about celery juice, for example, but you can't be right. skeptical about medicines that the FDA has to approve. So that's kind of the bar that I work on. And so when I started to figure out how to actually deconstruct foods and study foods in the same systems that are used for drug development in biotechnology, the thing that was sort of the eureka moment for me was that many foods are equally as powerful or more powerful than the drugs that have actually been developed in those systems. So what are some of those um, medicines that actually have been able to starve cancer by cutting off their blood supply? So before I tell you the answer, let me first say, um, everyone watching this is developing cancer because we all develop cancers. Cancers, we get a trillion cells in our body, 40 trillion. They're dividing, they're multiplying. All it takes is for a couple of mistakes and bingo, you got a tiny little microscopic cancer, like a pimple. Like And like a pimple, it's really harmless. You can't see it. It's not going to do anything bad to you. And it cannot grow up 
to become dangerous because it doesn't have a blood supply. So tumors without a blood supply can, can only get to about the size of the head of a ballpoint pen, a tiny little tip of a pen, all right? Then they can't get any bigger. They don't have oxygen. They don't have nutrients. But over time, these cancers can actually sometimes um, get around it by releasing these fertilizers. And then um, with the fertilizers out there, the blood vessels get tricked into growing to the cancer. And once a blood vessel touches a cancer, we've done experiments on this, that cancer can grow 16,000 times in just two weeks. And now you've got from something that's microscopic and harmless into something that's big and deadly. Now, so the name of the game oh. is actually to cut off the blood supply and keep those tiny cancers tiny. When they're tiny, eventually our healthy immune system, which we know our diet, our foods can also boost, will come swinging by, like they're just like cops on a beat driving by the neighborhood, making sure there's no trouble. If they see that tiny little microscopic cancer, they will come out of their cruiser and they will just lock up that tiny little cancer and take it away. And that's basically how we automatically control cancer. Let's not ask why we get cancer. Let's ask another question. Why don't we get cancer more often? Right. And the reason is because we've got a great immune system um, and our bodies naturally prevent blood vessels from growing to feed cancer. So what are the foods that can help our body do that? How do we boost our body's angiogenesis defense system that protects us against growing blood vessels to cancers? Well, blood vessels are growing so that you just have exactly the right amount to feed your cells. Um, I call it the Goldilocks principle, the Goldilocks zones. You remember that? Very tight. Not too hot, not too cold, not too hard, not too soft. Same thing for blood vessels. Not too many, not too few, just the right amount. So what, when our foods, when we eat foods that can help cut off the blood supply feed, that would feed cancers, what we're doing is we're preventing the blood vessels from getting too excessive. So think about a lawnmower, just mowing over that lawn. So the ones that are low growing a little bit too high, mowed right down, you got a perfect lawn, okay? Mm -hmm. That's what foods can do. So what are some of the foods we've studied that can actually do this? There's actually a lot of them. I, I wrote about more than 200 foods in my book, Eat to Beat Disease. And um, uh, surprisingly, um, uh, green tea, great one, tomatoes, Another great one. Um, uh, by the way, every food I'm telling you has human evidence, meaning it's been studied in human research, not not animals, not just lab, but actually right. people. Um, tree nuts, walnuts, pecans, almonds, macadamias, cashews. Um, and then perhaps most surprisingly, soy. So you know that um, that common belief that's out there that women should avoid soy because they want to avoid breast cancer because soy it's got estrogen and some breast human breast breast cancers can actually are responsive to estrogen. So I was going to ask you actually that's a question I have about soy. Yeah, well, look, turns out that um, that's an urban legend, and the reason it's an urban legend is because uh, it's true that some human breast cancers respond to human estrogen. And it's also true that soybeans contain a plant estrogen, a phytoestrogen, but if you're a scientist and you look at the chemical structures of human estrogen and plant estrogen, they look nothing alike, nothing. And in fact, plant oh. estrogens block human estrogens. In fact, plant estrogens are like mother nature's tamoxifen, which is a drug that's used to block estrogen. So now how do we know that that makes a difference? Well, it turns out that 
uh, the phytoestrogens called genistein in, in soybeans have actually been cited. And not only do they block estrogens for breast cancer, they also cut off the blood supply. They're also anti-angiogenic. They starve cancer by cutting off the blood supply. So now you have a blo estrogen blocker and a cancer starver all in one little soybean. Now, how do we know that this, this actually works, right? So the natural um, uh, question uh, would be, yeah, you know, you're telling me some research, so prove it to me. Right. Gladly. So there was a study called the Shanghai Breast Cancer Study that looked at 5,000 women who already had breast cancer. These are the women at highest risk. And what they found in the study is that those women who ate more soy had a 30% decrease in the risk of death from their breast cancer. And those women who had already had their cancer treated successfully, those that ate more soy had a 30% less chance of having their cancer come back. So that actually showed in a huge real world, real life study of women who are at highest risk that soy doesn't actually make you worse, doesn't threaten you. In fact, it makes you better. And so I just gave you one study, right? So then the skeptics would say, you know, any one study would actually, you know, you're just twisting it to your argument. So there's something called a meta-analysis in 14 different clinical trials have been done, looked at the same way, exactly the same conclusion. In every single case, the women who ate more soy had better, sur better survival um, and none of them had actually showed more death. So this is why it's so important for research and science, which is really the basis for what I would call the true food is medicine movement, right? Real science, yeah. not, not, not conjecture, not selling a supplement. This is the real deal. Um, uh, we can actually take a common belief and ask that question, true or not true? And that's how we need to be going through this. So soybeans, tomatoes, uh, um, uh, green tea, uh, tree nuts, you know, the list goes on and, and lots of fruits as well. So, um, you know, I, I always say, actually, you know, there's a uh, this uh, famous MIT professor, Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, who said the great thing about science is it's true whether you believe it or not. <laughs> it's actually that's very true then where did this whole thing come from because i remember there was such a movement against soy that that's why all these other milks came like almond milk and all these other things came because they didn't people didn't want to drink soy milk people didn't want to have it mommy like where did it come from and why is there still such a stigma against it yeah yeah you know it's such a great question so as best that i can track it down a well-intentioned person who was neither a doctor nor a scientist actually found out that soy have phytoestrogen. And then wow. researching um, breast cancers and estrogen started to put the picture together. So, you know, it's sort of like um, well-intentioned and, and kind of created a idea that then became essentially viral because this is actually predates the internet. I mean, like people yeah. believe it in it. Now the word spreads. And, and so... Um, uh, but, but this is the, the great news about this is that science is starting to really, um, gain a foothold everywhere we go when it comes to actually our, our diet and our nutrition, you know? Um, and by the way, the great thing about, um, the research I'm doing is that, you know, just when you thought you might know something, if there's new data that comes out that gives you a deeper understanding of something, 
that's that's fair too. You know, it's kind of like we're just just discovering new things all the time. No, I think that's really good. That's such valuable information. And then you also said tomatoes is so is such a great one for uh, starving off cancer. And it's interesting because there's been a lot of backlash lately in the last couple of years, three years, that tomatoes are bad, lectin is bad, fruit is bad. Right. You know, what do you say to all of that stuff? Yeah. So you know, I I just basically say, you know, I'm open to all ideas. I just want to see the data. I just want to see the science. And, you know, this is just me. Not everybody has that kind of hunger for it, but I, 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 I want to believe, you know, like I think humans want to believe things, right? That's why, right. That's why we hope, you know, hope is, is based on this need to believe. And that's a very important thing when it comes to our health, especially if you're sick, you know, you, it's really important, more important than ever to, to actually have that hope. But data is also really important. So let me kind of um, address the, the, urban legend about tomatoes, right? Yeah. Um, look, um, first of all, tomatoes have been eaten for thousands of years without having any problems whatsoever. And tomatoes are actually from Italy. Tomatoes are or California. Tomatoes are actually um, from Latin America. And the first tomatoes weren't even red. They were actually bright orange and uh, bright yellow and orange. And that's why they call them Pomodoro, you know, like the Italian yeah. for tomatoes, Pomodoro. Palm, apple, doro, gold, gold. It looks like a golden apple, right? Right. So, so again, you know, there's all these, if you understand the history, history, you know, our history tells us a lot. I love, I love to understand the history. Um, the, the first tomatoes that were imported to Europe by, um, the, by, by people who are the explorers, um, here was this like, uh, uh, fruit that was never seen before that was perishable and you know and only the wealthy could actually afford to have it they didn't eat it they use it for decoration you know and so what wow. they do, where do they de what do they decorate they decorated their beautiful platters that were made out of lead okay and so they put this tomato on the lead and the lead would soak into the tomatoes people would eat the tomatoes and we get sick okay um so that's so then they're like, nah, we're not eating this anymore. And then who wound up eating the tomatoes and planting the seeds? The peasants. Peasants didn't act, couldn't afford beautiful, heavy, leaded, gorgeous, silver wow. things. Peasants just ate it, hence tomato sauce. And you never see peasants dying off because they're not actually putting it on toxic metals. Now, another component that led to um, sort of this false accusation of tomatoes is when they brought not just the fruit of the tomato, the explorers, they also brought the vine of the tomato, right? Right. Uh, the, the plant, you know, the, the, the biologists, the, the, the horticulturalists at the time looked at that plant leaf of the tomato and said, you know, I don't recognize that. I wonder what it looks like. So they, there's a guy named Linnaeus who actually went to England and he opened up you know, the, the, the great textbooks of plants and tried to match the leaf to the closest thing that was known. Nightshade. It looked like a nightshade. Well, we know nightshade is really poisonous, but tomatoes not actually a poisonous nightshade. Leaves kind of look the same. So another kind of um, uh, association that's not really mm -hmm. quite based. But now you can imagine how this. I'm going to come to the lectin story in a second. But so so now you can imagine how. Oh, 
it's like lead toxicity from, you know, a, a special like class of people that are eating tomatoes. Didn't work, didn't harm the peasants, but it hurt, hurt, hurt the wealthy. And now they said, oh, maybe there's like, it's similar to the nightshade because we hadn't seen this plant before. Poison, nightshade, people getting toxic. All right. So that's the start of sort of like the bad mouthing of tomatoes. Now, fast forward like a thousand years to a few years ago. Right. <laughs> We know that um, tomatoes and many other plants have lectins in it. Beans have lectins in it. And we have heard this idea that lectins are poison. Well, I'm a vascular biologist, so I actually study lectins. Like that's part of the research that I do. Lectins are all over our body. There are hundreds of different types of lectins that are out there. We're made of lectins, actually. In fact, if we didn't have lectins, our skin would fall apart. And so... It and it turns out that there are some lectins that are incredibly deadly poison, but they're not the ones in our body and they're not the ones in our food. So this idea of associating well-intentioned person, read somewhere about lectins, but didn't know anything about the biology of lectins, didn't know there's hundreds of them, associated lectins with tomatoes, associated, linked it back up. And you can kind of see how when you play telephone, it's right. kind of, it, it can create all kinds of um distortions of the fact that's why we need data so to me yeah. let me just tell you quickly study of thirty thousand people men um in the health harvard health professionals follow-up study studied men to look at their tomato consumption and men that ate more tomatoes two to three servings of cooked tomatoes a week that's not very much each serving being half a cup so if you were to take a measuring cup out half a cup put some red sauce on it and put it on your pasta, that's not very much sauce. So super easy to eat two or three servings of that a week or half a cup of tomato juice or enough for a salad, you know, um, not, not very much. That, that Men who had that dose of tomatoes had a 29% lower risk of developing prostate cancer. So human studies based on the science and what's in a tomato, lycopene, Lycopene is really heart healthy and it also starves cancer. When you study lycopene in prostate cancer systems, it cuts off the blood supply so the prostate cancer can't grow up. This is amazing information. I am so glad I have you on my podcast, first of all, because you explain things so well. Um, also, you know, it's, I'm happy because now I could eat, you know, tomato sauce again. I love tomato or tomatoes in my in my salad. I, and it's funny because I was still really eating them anyway, but it's funny how like one thing can, like you said, broken telephone can like shift and change how people's perception of like a superfood basically this yeah. is it. Um, and, and I like eggplant and I like nightshade vegetables. So this is very, very happy. It's a, it's a, it's a good day today. This is, this is a happy moment. I appreciate it. Well, you know, I, I think there's something about food, Jennifer, that's so important. Um, you know, a, a lot of um, the, superfood community and leaders and influencers in the superfood community, you know, they're, they're so important because they, they want to lift and elevate the people in society to a healthier level. And that is so important. Um, uh, and so, so I really, I'm really supportive of that. I think the the key thing is not to get swept up into fads and trends without seeing what the evidence actually is like we don't you know the same way that we don't take memes that seriously we just kind of look at them and we kind of like right. keep it going we need to really be careful about um our food and health and by the way when it comes to food and our health 
It's not just about the food. There's no super single superfood or super supplement. It's really about how our body responds to what we put inside it. You put something bad in there, our body's going to have a bad reaction. You put something good in there, our body's going to have a good reaction. So when we understand ourselves, self-knowledge, first, like that's the first principle of health, understanding yourself, then you actually know what to actually feed yourself. And because I think food isn't just about health. Food is so intimate, it tells us about our childhood, our families, our communities, and our culture. Food tells us who we are. So rather than be eliminating and restrictive, I'm all about leaning into the foods that we love, that, that research has discovered to be healthy, because my big thing is that we can love our food to love our health. I think that's amazing. Do you think that you can overdo something? Like, for example, let's let's talk about grapes, right? I'm a I, I love grapes. I, I'm like obsessed with grapes, and you know, people are like, oh, maybe that, like, you know, when people are were gaining weight, they're like, no one's no one's becoming obese because they ate too many grapes or too many carrots, right? They're saying because why I'm asking you this is because they say the sugar content in a grape or the sugar content in a carrot, and it's like I, that's not why people are getting obese, right? Um, but could you overdo it? Like if I'm having, and I eat like a lot of grapes, is there any like, what are the, what are, is there any backlash to having too much of that? Yeah, listen, that's, that's, such great, that's such a great question. So, so what I've sort of just told you is that our body um, accepts whatever we put in it and see, they're going to have a good reaction or a bad reaction. And, and the other thing that's, that I've discovered that's really important is that, um, our body's health defense systems, which we activate with food, craves diversity. Mm. So our bodies love different things, right? So if you think about it, like we all know that kid or maybe the neighbor's kid <laughs> all white foods, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, like how could that be? So right. like, what parenting? Are you <laughs> But, you know, like that and th that reaction we have, like only mm -hmm. one thing, you got to be kidding me. The fact is that our body, we know intuitively that our body craves diversity. And that diversity activates the different health defense systems. It activates our angiogenesis, our circulation, activates our stem cells, our second health defense system, so we can regenerate from the inside out. Activates our microbiome, which everybody understands is related to gut health. But what people are just starting to understand now is that gut health controls our immune system. It's anti-inflammatory, helps us use sugar better, lowers blood cholesterol, even causes our social, our brain to release social hormones. So important. Our DNA protects our DNA against environment, helps us slow our aging. And of course, our immune system is incredibly important after what we went mm. through last year. So the question is, can you overdo it? You know, listen, you can you can overdo it with water. If you drink too much water, you can have water toxicity, but you can't overdo it with diversity of delicious foods that your body naturally wants. And that's why, in a way, if you think about it, if you break it down into three meals a day, or most of us encounter food about five times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a couple of snacks or whatever, you know, we're usually not eating the same things all the time. We have to superimpose ourselves like I must eat only this. Like that's not natural. And so don't be a robot about it. And so, you know, if you eat grapes, I also heard you eat tomatoes. So I know you at least, at least eat two things. Yeah. <laughs> so that's at least three things. You know, I, I like the fact I'm hearing that you're eating diversity. So what, what I tell people is that 
You know, like in my book, I, li- I list more than 200 foods that have all been shown to have evidence that they activate our body's health defense systems. And everybody's different. So there's no one size fits all. But I tell people is open up the book, get that list out, take a Sharpie, circle all the foods that you already love. There's 200 of them. I've never met, I haven't met a single person that can't circle 20 or 30 of them, at least. No, you have a great, you do a great job. And you also, you know, that's a great segue. I was going to ask you about the five by five by five system that you have. So talk about it because you're talking about it anyway. Yeah. Well, listen, so how do you actually eat healthy and diversely that's true to who you are and how you grew up and what your mom cooked for you and your favorite stuff? Okay. So I will say a few words about what you should stay away from and eliminate. But let's talk about what you should add first. If you and this is this is my this is the reason. If you spend more time thinking about what to add to your good things to add to your life, you won't have as much room to add bad things. So you're kind of just like pushing it out by, you know, you're hip checking out the bad stuff naturally. And you get all the good stuff that you already enjoy. So um I created this concept, it's a framework called five by five by five. It's a very easy way. It's a super easy to, way to remember um, how to eat healthy. It, it says this, it, it know that your body has five health defense systems, angiogenesis, stem cells, microbiome, DNA, and our immune system. Super easy. Um, these systems are activated by food. So every single day, make sure you eat at least one food that turns on one of these systems, because the more you turn it on, the stronger our body's going to be. And and these systems help us resist disease. Mm-hmm. So why not? Like that's a good thing, particularly if you love those foods. And by the way, we encounter foods about five times a day. So every time you see food, you um, visualize food or you're reaching for some food, make that decision. If you've got a choice, make the decision to pick up something that's actually going to activate one of your health defenses. Five defenses. Um, uh, 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 you know, uh, eat uh, one food at least every day that activates each one about five times a day. Super easy. It's not intended to be restrictive. It's about it's all about giving you the freedom to be able to make those great choices. So, you know, there's more than 200 foods in my book. Take out a Sharpie or, you know, and just circle the ones you love. And that's your shopping list. That's what you go to the farmer's market, the grocery store, wherever you're going, the fishmonger, wherever you're going to go, like <laughs> shop according to that list, put it on your refrigerator, okay? Um, make it seasonal. And and so, and, and, and then you can kind of go from there. Should you eat fresh? Should you eat organic? Should you cook with olive oil, healthy oils? You know, all those kinds of things are, everything downstream follows that basic principle. And if you like Italian, it still works. If you like Greek, it works. If you like Japanese, it works. There is a, if you like Eastern European food or just a plain old American food, comfort food, still works. And that's what I think is so fundamental. Our bodies are hardwired to respond to good foods. So go for it. Right. Well, you said, I also wanted to ask, I want to talk about the health, the the, the five things that you just mentioned. One of them was regeneration mm-hmm. and, and stem cell, you know, stem cells. Can we, can you talk a little bit about what that is and what you mean by that? And like, what is like, basically like, how do you boost the amount of stem cells you have? What, how do we like even how, what's, what, how do we even, what kind of foods can we eat to boost them? I should say. Okay. So first, let me just tell you what. And what stem- are stem cells? Yeah, I was going to say, and also tell people what stem cells are. Yeah, so let me let me tell you what stem cells are. We are all 
made out of stem cells. So when mom and dad got together, sperm and egg got together, like how do we turn from a little ball of cells to turn into a human being nine months later? Well, we are formed by stem cells. So for we actually are made of stem cells. But when we're born and we grow up, our body reserves some of those early stem cells and says, you know what, I'm gonna take an insurance policy and I'm gonna keep a few of these stem cells around just in case. So where does the um, newly born, freshly minted baby keep their stem cells? Where do we have it? Like, where do you have your stem cells where I have mine? It's packed in our bone marrow. Okay, stuffed inside a bone marrow. What's our bone marrow? You know, have you ever seen a chicken bone cut in half? There's like that dark stuff in the center of it. That's bone marrow. Okay, if you know somebody who's had leukemia or something else, they may have had a bone marrow transplant. That's also called a stem cell transplant because you're taking healthy stem cells to try to regenerate somebody whose body is filled with cancer to regenerate healthy cells. That's how powerful stem cells are. We we have them as adults now. Where um, I got into this is because, um, you know, as a physician taking care of people with heart disease, stroke, heart attack, or wounds that aren't healing, um, or diabetes, you know, where your, your, your uh, pancreas isn't able to make insulin. One of the holy grails of medicine is to create regenerative therapies using stem cells. Now, 20 years ago, that was very controversial because people were worried about, you know, embryonic stem cells and baby farms used to harvest stem cells. None of that is actually trying to be true. Mm. Instead, what we've tried to figure out is that how to use adult stem cells. And so people are finding, by the way, this is, you're gonna like this, wow. this really cool. Another place that people store stem cells is in fat. Lipo. Really? Yeah, when you suck out fat, okay, it contains hundreds of millions of stem cells. And by the way, that's why fat can grow so fast. Think about it. Like, is that's it's, why? Yeah, it's like having, like, it's like you're fat having a baby. Okay, that's yeah, why, <laughs> that's why it expands. So <gasps> what? Imagine this: you want to regenerate your heart. A plastic surgeon can do liposuction. Okay, in in the same person, suck out their fat, and so you get this like canister of yellow fat, and you put some stuff into it, and you spin it down, and the the fat floats to the top like because it's oily and the stem cells stay in the bottom because of gravity. Now you pour the fat out, you take those stem cells and you give it to a cardiologist and the cardiologist will take these fat stem cells from the same person, load it up in a syringe, inject it into the heart to grow new blood vessels and new heart muscle. That's the future. So I've been involved with this for almost 20 years. Okay. It's friggin' cool. All right. And, and it is going to be the future. We can like, Oh my God. Okay. So now let me tell you, it is still early days yet for getting this to be FDA approved and everything. There's been a lot of efforts. So, you know, anybody wants to go look this up, you just go to clinicaltrials.gov, which is the government's database on trials and look up stem cell and heart, stem cell brain, stem cell erectile dysfunction. You'll see all the research that's going on in this area. But what's cool is that if man, humankind thinks they can invent something um, that can help treat a disease, mother nature probably beat humans to the punch. And so what I wrote about my book is this mind boggling set of discoveries that 
foods, things that Mother Nature has put into food can actually coax stem cells to come out of our bone marrow into our bloodstream to regenerate us naturally from the foods that we eat. That's what's that that's basically, you know, so every time I told you about a drug, a biotech effort, right? Mm -hmm. with this, and then I'm telling you that many foods can do the same thing. What foods? Tell us. I want to know. All right. So um, well, I'll tell you the one that you're going to you're going to love. You're going to remember uh, the most. Turns out that dark chocolate can do this. Cacao contains these polyphenols. And it's been studied. If you get high polyphenol chocolate, that's really dark chocolate. That's greater than 80% chocolate. What will happen is that um, if you eat that, th those polyphenols will send a signal to your bone marrow and, and call out the stem cells and they'll come flying out like bees coming out of a hive. And then they will actually help to regenerate you from the inside out. So there was a study done of men in their 60s who had heart disease, right? So these are people who demonstrated that they have problems with their blood vessels and their hearts. And they just gave them two cups, two eight ounce cups of dark hot chocolate to drink every day for 30 days. That's it, like two espresso cups of dark chocolate. And they measured the stem cells in each person from the beginning to 30 days later. And they found that you could double the number of stem cells that came out of your bloodstream just with dark chocolate. Now, what? The, so, so does that matter? Like, just because you can measure your blood? Absolutely, because they were actually able to test to see how the effect on their blood vessels, and they could actually make the resiliency of your blood vessels that you can measure with a blood pressure cuff twice as good as from the baseline, from the beginning. So that's an example of how powerful foods are. Now, what besides chocolate, by the way, I, I'm, I'm, I have a big reveal for anybody that wants to go on social media to check me out, Dr. William Lee and chocolate. Um, I, got, I got a big project that's gonna actually gonna be announced tonight. So you should check it out. You'll, you'll, you'll find it. I can't, say, I can't say anything about it at this moment in time of this taping, but, but I, I've actually helped, I've partnered with somebody to really come up with an amazing collaboration. So, um, and, it, and it has to do with what I just talked about. So um, uh, another food that actually is um, stem cell recruiting is um, fruit peel. So it turns out that there is a natural chemical called ursolic acid ursolic acid, and it's found in fruit peel, apple skins, cranberry skins, grape skins. Okay, you like grapes? Yeah. All right, now think about it. You might be popping a lot of grapes, probably not eating a ton of apples, right? Okay. I love apples, actually. It's my second favorite. So, so if you eat an apple, eat it with the peel. And by the way, that's the one single reason that I would encourage people from an apple perspective to get organic apples because less chance of having pesticides. It's not that easy to wash pesticides off. Organic apple is gonna be gonna not have that problem. But if you eat the apple with the peel on or a cranberry with the skin on or a grape with the skin on, right? You're getting ursolic acid. Ursolic acid regenerates um, tissues as well. And they've, been stu they've studied this in the same systems that are being used to study stem cells for treating human disease. And it works. So um, now it's difficult to eat a lot of whole fruits with fruit skin. There's a lot of good stuff in it too. Um, and you can bake apple skins and have chips and all that kind of stuff. But I'll, I'll, give, you the, I'll give you the hack and the kind of the pro tip on how to eat a lot of fruit skin. Trail mix. If you get dried fruit, you know, it might be hard to, it might be, well, you might not have a hard time eating 10 grapes, okay? 
or 20 grapes, but but if you had 20 raisins, it'd be really easy to actually eat that. Um, dried cranberries, dried raisins, dried cherries, um, any kind of dried fruit, mix it with healthy tree nuts or or don't, just have dried fruits. That's a great way to actually get this ursolic acid. Now I want to come back to something that you said earlier about sugar. Okay. So again, this is, you know, I I, I sometimes tell people that you know, I'm I'm a kind of a peace loving guy, and I love to, you know, like I I, I love to build communities, and I love people to um, be excited by the same things that I I'm excited by, but I do have a vendetta against misinformation, and so um, and sometimes that misinformation isn't deliberate; it's just sort of a, a mistake that people, you know, that that broken telephone that we talked about. So here's the thing: for a long time. I didn't believe that sugar actually is responsible for or can can provoke cancer. But that was the rumor that was out there. And I was taking care of cancer patients. And I never saw anybody eating a Snickers bar or or chocolate and having their cancer get a lot worse. And so I thought, that must be an urban legend. Then I actually, and there's a reason for that. Then I actually started to see research in the cancer research community showing that, yeah, metabolically, if you overload a system with sugar, so more than your body can take care of in your bloodstream, yeah, you actually will get cancers that grow faster. This is in a lab. Mm -hmm. Well, so I'm like, ooh, okay. Now I started to like straighten up. And this is where science and data actually helps me learn like everyone else. Um, But then how do you actually reconcile the fact that people who eat a lot of fruits actually have a lower risk of cancer? So plums, peaches, pears, apples, you know, like, I mean, apples are a great example, lowers the risk of lung cancer, okay, Um, by about 15%. So how could that be, you know, well, because you're eating the sugar? Well, it's because, look, when it comes to food, it's not either or. And yeah, you know, there's some um, sugar in, uh, in fruits. It's fructose. It's not refined sugar, okay, and it's not added sugar. It's it's not anywhere near what you'd have in a can of soda, all right, um, or in a candy bar, or in the snow cone, or whatever it is that you want to talk about. It's natural, and that fruit contains all these other bioactives that Mother Nature put in there. So the net net is that you're eating so many more good things that can cut off the blood supply to cancer, boost your immune system even kill cancer stem cells, which is really cool. Like sometimes cancer stem cells, you want to get rid of those. Mm -hmm. Well, some foods can actually do that like walnuts. And so the bottom line is that um, uh, uh, I'm not afraid of eating fruit. Um, uh, I think that if you're a cancer patient, you probably, you know, probably want to avoid candies, cakes. You probably want to avoid super, super sweet fruits or fruit juices. And sometimes fruit juices are artificially are, are have the extra sweetener as well. Right. Regular fruit, no problem. More from our guest, but first a few words from our sponsor. Everyone's career is different and reaching your goals takes time. LinkedIn Learning offers courses based on the in-demand skills trending on LinkedIn taught by industry experts. So no matter where your career is headed, you can learn the skills to make it happen. Engineers are learning cutting edge languages to build better products. Salespeople are learning to ask better questions to make their numbers. What course will you take 
So the job you want becomes a job you get. Me, well, I took a bunch of courses and I got to tell you, it's been super helpful. A couple of the courses I took were social media marketing and learning how to use Excel better. And not only were they incredibly helpful, I got to learn some very easy practical things in under an hour. And I will tell you, I'll be using many more courses to come. No matter your goal, LinkedIn Learning helps you learn the skills to make it happen. LinkedIn Learning, try free for one month at linkedinlearning.com slash free month. That's linkedinlearning.com slash free month. I'm loving you so much right now. I live off of fruit, right? And so uh, could you, though, in terms of weight gain, though, if you're eating too much, because it has a lot of calories, though, right? Like, you have to be careful on, in terms of that, I would imagine, to some extent. Not, not because people are getting obese off of fruit. I know that. But, you know, it, it still can be, it's not leaning to have that much. It won't lean you out to have that much fruit. Or is that a myth also? No, no, that's, a, that's that, you know, like, it's really hard to have too much fruit. To, to You won't gain weight by eating a lot of plant-based foods, including right. fruit, despite the fructose that's in it. Um, if you actually have a normal metabolism and, and that means that your gut health is he- healthy, you're able to lower your lipids and you don't have some, you know, odd, um, uh, genetic kind of issue that might be forcing your, uh, driving you to gain weight. Um, and I wish I could talk about this, but I can't talk about it yet. I'm working on another project, um, that actually will help use foods to actually help you lose weight. So, um, there, this brand new research, it's like smoking hot. Um, that'll come out in about a year. Um, you won't tell me that. How can you not tell me? I, I, I will tell you it's, there's another system in the body that you can activate using foods and it, it, it's amazing. It'll, it'll light your system up. So I'm telling you, like as a scientist, I'm working on, these are like my research projects. These are the projects that I'm working on. They're the next things that are on my to-do list that I'm, I'm working on. And it's exciting because, you know, like that, that's why, you know, when we were talking, um, uh, before, uh, um, there's never a reason for me to repeat other people's stuff. Because there's so much new things to actually work on that are really, really great. But back to um, uh, the, the fruits. Um, now, it's, it's 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 great that you love fruit. I think it's really, really healthy. I'm so glad to hear this. You have no idea. Well, now you just said something that I'm, I'm kind of upset about. Because one of my questions down the road, which I haven't even gotten to other things, um, were about the new things you're working on. But before I even get to that. You were talking about polyphenols in in chocolate, and that's why it's so good for stem cells. But so does that mean that olive oil as well? How about coffee has polyphenols? Like all these other things that have polyphenols, are those the other foods that can help really increase the amount of stem cells you have in your body? Yeah, ab- absolutely. There's a whole list of foods and a growing list of foods that actually help um, uh, recruit our stem cells. And again, you know, this isn't... Um, medical therapy. This is what I call the healthcare that we do between doctor's office visits. I call mm-hmm. our healthcare occurs between doctor's office visits. Um, and, and, and so, uh, um, and it's a way to actually enhance our life um, by eating foods that we love that actually can help our stem cells actually get activated. And it's the same thing, by the way, for all these health defenses. How do we make our blood vessels healthier? How do we make our stem cells um, work on our own behalf? How do we make our bodies work for us? How do we get our gut to be healthier? How do we protect our DNA? And how do we actually activate our immunity? Each of these health defense systems can be activated by food 
All you got to know is what category of defense each of these foods activate. And most of them are plant-based foods, um, although not exclusively. Um, and so- Are you a plant, do you eat meat then at all or no? You know, I, 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 I'm very straightforward about this. Like I, I'm an omnivore, so I will eat a little bit of everything. But I would tell you very straight that most of what I eat is plant-based and most of what I actually do, um, when I plan a meal, you know, I, I don't do what I grew up kind of thinking of how to do. Like, you, you know, when first time you go to a restaurant by yourself, you remember like, you know, like, what do you do? <laughs> you open up, you pop open the menu, right? I mean, some of these, some of these habits are like, uh, they get ingrained we're, really early. We're preconditioned to do it. We, we're preconditioned to kind of eat the way that we did when we were kids when we had no control over it. Exactly. So you pop it open and you're watching what your mom and dad did and you're like, what's the animal protein we're going to have? I'm going to have like the T-bone steak or I'm going to have the pork chop or I'm going to have the whatever. Right. What I do is I go and I peruse the entire menu first and I look at all the foods I recognize, all the ingredients I recognize. And, and what's great about chefs now is they all put all their ingredients out there. So I immediately I know which ones are actually good for me that I actually like. And I will pick the plant-based vegetable first. It's not that I am using that as my main, but I'm using that first. And then later, like for my side, I'll pick something else to see if I want to light it up. But I really try to focus on the plant-based thing. So, you know, 80% of what I eat is is, is easily plant-based, maybe more. Um, and then, you know, I'll, I'll eat fish. Sure, seafood is good and I like to explore. I'll eat a little bit of meat, mostly. Uh, I don't eat very much uh, red meat. Um, I try to keep out saturated fat. I don't eat processed meats. I'll eat a little bit of chicken. But for chicken, I um, almost always have free-range chicken and chicken thighs. I was going to ask you about that. We haven't. I saw in your book you you recommend chicken thighs and not chicken breast. Why is that? Okay. Well, first of all, there's two reasons. Um, I think the thighs are tastier, so food's got to taste good. There's a little bit more flavor in it, and I like that. I like that flavor. And um, I, and and breasts. By the way, although we're again conditioned to think about the breast as the best part of the chicken, it's clean, it's white, it's you know uniform. It's right. Big. By the way, if you've ever seen like a regular real chicken in the wild, they're not wearing these double D cups. <laughs> All right. I mean, you know, like we're talking like real chickens are like B cups. Yeah. <laughs> like, cups. And 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 it it's like that big thing. Like you oh, I love it. So, so so but more to the point is that it turns out that chicken thighs, especially free range, they have a special kind of vi vitamin called vitamin K2 that they accumulate in their thigh. They're exercising, they're working out, they're eating normal, natural things, they're picking up, you know, uh, grains and, and grubs and stuff like that on the ground, natural free range, and they're accumulating vitamin K2. Vitamin K2 is anti-angiogenic, cuts off the blood supply to cancers, heart healthy as well. So why, you know, it's a no-brainer for me if I'm gonna, and it doesn't accumulate in a breast. And so that's why, that's, that's one of the reasons why I like chicken thighs. That's so interesting. You're right. Again, one of these urban myths that you think that the chicken breast is better. Now you said you, you talk about K2 uh, in, the, in, in, th in chicken thighs. Um, why is it that when people now take vitamin D supplements, they're telling you to take it vitamin D with K2? What is the combination? Well, so, you know, 
I think that the jury is still out really about whether or not a combination is really important. Here's the most important thing, honestly, that I would tell you about vitamin D and vitamin K. They're both vitamins that we call fat-soluble vitamins, Mm -hmm. which means that they don't dissolve in water. So if you try to take a capsule of vitamin D or vitamin K2 and you put it into a glass of water, like it just kind of floats atop. It doesn't mix. Um, But if you were to actually put it in some salad dressing and mix it up, it'll dissolve really easily. And so one of the things um, that that you should know is that there's water-soluble vitamins and fat-soluble vitamins. Um, So if you have something, uh, if you have a meal uh, that has some olive oil or, you know, or natural um, uh, healthier oils, fish with omega-3 fatty acids, um, and then you take your vitamin D or vitamin K, it'll get absorbed into your body a lot easier. Oh, wow. That's great information. Okay. So you were saying something because I I wanted to, uh, oh yeah, I wanted to ask you about the, we were on the polyphenols. We've been jumping a little, and then I want to get into a little bit of gut and immune health and the COVID-19 research that you've done. Um, So why is there such a bad rap then on coffee if it does have all these polyphenols and all these other health benefits? I mean, yes, it has caffeine, um, but is that kind of also an urban myth that coffee is a problem? And when people are doing a lot of elimination diets, which are a huge fad right now, again, with these fads and trends and dieting, they always eliminate the coffee. Which, Yeah, you know, so again, I go by the science. Um, coffee, uh, first of all, I will tell your viewers that I have a cup of coffee every day. I, I did a gap year after college. I was um, lucky enough to spend some time in Italy. I think probably back then I picked up the habit of having an espresso. And then when I was in med school, you know, basically you're getting your butt whooped every single day to get up <laughs> in the morning. You need to swig a little coffee. Um, and, you know, all the data I have seen uh, in humans is that coffee actually is beneficial, lowers your risk of heart disease, um, has anti-cancer effects, and and wait for it because this is actually the most important thing I think as you know for as people as we get older turns out that drinking coffee slows down cellular aging so um, and it's a polyphenols in a coffee so our cells naturally are aging right we get exposed to the sun the skin just looks so good and then we get older like you know what's the difference between you know the flesh of somebody who's a grandma or grandpa versus somebody who's a teenager you know there's a difference well it turns out the cells are also getting older and that's a natural kind of life fuse that burns down right like that mission impossible thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i love that when you slow that burn down explosion doesn't happen so quickly and that's slowing down cellular aging coffee actually does that so you know again that's that's just the evidence i love that does it matter what kind of coffee there's all these things about mold being on coffee and this and that you know you can always find something wrong with somebody's food or somebody's manufacturing or somebody's thing and so i i I don't i don't really want to kind of get into you know fencing with people's complaints about food yeah get the best possible coffee you can have um you know um, and by the way you're brewing coffee with water. What's in your water? Have you tested your water? Like it, it goes on and on from there. hundred percent agree with you. And you can drive yourself crazy trying to do it. I, I think, look, um, life's for the living. You got to be real practical about what you do. You know, get as clean as water as you can. Get the best co- quality of coffee you can. Get, get the kind you like. Um, here's what I would say about coffee. Don't put added sugar in it. Drink coffee black if you if you if you like it or if you can. Um, if it's too strong for you, make it less a little bit less. If you're gonna actually if you want to sweeten it, don't put refined sugar in it. Um, you can actually put honey, 
no maple syrup. There's other ways of natural syrups that are, um, or natural sweeteners that are actually good. Um, uh, there is um, uh, monk fruit, actually sweeteners, actually um, got zero calories. Um, here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to use artificial sweeteners. You don't want to use artificial synthetic sweeteners. Why? Not because of the calories. In fact, people who eat a lot of artificial sweeteners, they gain weight. You know why? Because artificial sweeteners, they screw up your gut microbiome and the gut microbiome processes your body fat. So you screw up your internal fat defense system, you wind up actually gaining weight. And so, you know, like, so you just kind of like just, you just kind of did like a complete U-turn of what you wanted to do. So I would say use a natural sweetener. I mean, this is, this is like where some of the popular wisdom actually makes sense. Do natural things if you can. No, I think that's a great. What do you think of stevia? Is stevia okay? So far, stevia looks pretty good. It's natural. What you want to be careful though, okay? Um, there are lots of stevias that are not fully stevia. They've actually engineered with other things. Oh. So like anything that comes in a box or in a can or whatever it is, look at that ingredient list. That's the number one thing I always tell people and check it out because at least in the United States, by law, they have to declare what's in it. And once you see what's in it, then then you can decide, make a decision. And usually there's choices, right? Stevia this, stevia that, this stevia, this kind of brand, that kind of brand. Pick ones that actually is just pure stevia. I love that. Thank you for telling me that because I'm a big stevia person as well. And there's always, again, like that's one of them that's always on the fringe, right? People say it's good. Some people say stay away from it. Um, what Also, you did, it, kiwis. Kiwis are great for cellular health too, right? For oh, yeah. aging problems. Kiwis are amazing. Um, you know, first of all, kiwis originally came from southern China. They got transplanted to New Zealand, where um, they flourished because it's a kind of a in a tropical environment there. Um, they um, uh, were associated with the bird, which is a kiwi. A kiwi is actually a bird. Um, uh, I think they. I think the original name for kiwis was monkey fruit because monkeys would eat them, pick them out of trees, oh. and somehow when they were they got transplanted to New Zealand, they became associated with the kiwis, which is a New Zealand bird. Oh. And then New Zealanders are called kiwis, right? Yeah. Um, so anyhow, and then they and then they started selling it all around the world. So um, I love the history of food and like understanding something about this stuff. Anyway, so here's what's great about kiwi: um, they are packed with fiber. And they're packed with vitamin C and um, they do a couple of things. The fiber when you eat a kiwi um, is so good for your gut health that if you even eat one or two kiwis a day, you'll change your gut microbiome to be healthier in 24 hours. So overnight, your gut starts to be healthier. Good, better bacteria start to grow, number one. Number two is that um, the vitamin C and other polyphenols found in kiwis protect your DNA. So there was a study done, it was amazing in Singapore, where they actually um, gave women, healthy women, uh, one, two, or three kiwis to eat. And then they 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 drew their blood and they tested, um, they looked at their DNA to see how well the DNA was being protected. Um, uh, our, our DNA naturally is kind of fragile. So, um, but eating, fruits and vitamin C, things like that can protect our DNA. They found that eating one kiwi a day will protect your DNA from damage by 60%. So it's like a shield. 
It's amazing. Right. And if you eat three kiwis a day, it helps your DNA, your body to rebuild damaged DNA by 60%. So, so one or three kiwis a day. I mean, think about it. Like take a kiwi, peel it, cut it up, put it into a yogurt, just, or slice it, have a slice of it. You know, it's just a delicious, it's not too sweet, little tangy, you know, you cut it in half is that beautiful green, emerald green middle. Um, it's, it's just, it's just a really great fruit. Now I, I'll give you a, I'll give you like a little, um, a, a, a little, uh, tip. Um, there's a lot of fiber in kiwi. If you want to, if you want to make the fiber increase by 50%, Okay, here's what you do. You um, uh, make a smoothie out of it. So you just put it into a blender with other things as well, obviously. And you actually um, uh, uh, cut off the ends because they're kind of nubby. And you just uh, blend up the skin too. The with skin. the skin? Yeah, this is the crazy thing. Like I, 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 this is something I recently was working on is one of the things that I really care a lot about is sustainability foods. How do we use foods that that is helpful for our planet, right? I mean, like everybody's woke now to the fact that like, we can't be messing up mother earth. I was like, we only got one earth, <laughs> you know, we had two of other things, we only got one earth and, and, and we're screwing it up. So it's payback time. All so right. how do we actually do it better? So like, instead of throwing parts of foods away, are there things that we can actually do? So I did not know this, but there are people that have successfully made smoothies, including the kiwi skin and it increases your fiber by 50%, that fiber helps your gut health. So it's not for everybody. And I would never eat kiwi skin by itself. Like that's disgusting. But you know, if, if you could perfect that kiwi smoothie blend with other things in it, um, that's another way to really get some super enriched fiber. And I would get, you know, organic kiwis then. That's amazing. I think a kiwi is so underrated. People don't really talk or eat it. Like that's not like a main fruit that people normally go for. But, but you can't unlearn what I just told you. So now Absolutely not. So now you're going to actually be looking, thinking about kiwis in a different way. I'm actually going to go buy some kiwis today because of that. And I will be, I'm going to be integrating that into my diet. Um, so can we just a little bit, let's talk about the immune system because I feel like everything starts and ends with that, right? Like a lot of these diseases that uh, we're, like COVID-19 or, you know, COVID of recently, of all these other things, it starts when you have a weak um, and a troubled immune system. So how could we, and I know the, it's a very tagline, very, how do you boost the immune system? It's very kind of like popular right now to say that, but are there ways that we can actually boost our immune function, um, create an optimal place for that? So a lot of these other diseases won't be able to kind of fester from and yeah, and that's well, one of your specialties. So I would yeah, imagine you have a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, well, like 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 every one of those health defense systems, the five health defense systems we talked about, our immune system is pretty sensitive to what we eat. You know, um, you can damage your immune system if you eat a lot of ultra processed foods, a lot of added sugars, too much salt, um, uh, a ton of saturated fats. All those things kind of blunt our immune response. Um, but you can boost your immune system as well. And this is, again, has been studied using the same types of, of systems that are used to, uh, for drug development. You can measure your immune response in your bloodstream. And um, a couple of good foods that will do this, um, broccoli sprouts will actually do mm -hmm. that. Um, 
So there's something in broccoli called sulforaphane. That's what gives broccoli its kind of unique flavor. Um, it's kind of a little sulfury, right? Um, uh, and it turns out that the grown-up broccoli has just about as much as it's ever going to have. Um, sorry, the baby broccoli uh, has as much as it's ever going to have. And when it gets bigger, it just distributes more evenly throughout the bigger plant. Um, uh, so, um, but but the baby broccoli sprouts three to four days old has a hundred times more of the sulforaphane than the big broccoli. And by the way, the big broccoli, you know, we mostly eat the trees of the broccoli, but the stem has twice as much of the good stuff as the trees. The trees are good. The stems are twice as good. Really? Don't throw the stems away. Cut them up, saute them, puree them into a green juice, make a soup out of them. If you're going to make a soup, add a little oregano, broccoli oregano soup. Amazing. Um, you know, so many ways that, again, this is sustainability, right? Like, don't throw away the skins. Don't throw away the, 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 the stock. So that's immune boosting. Mushrooms, another immune boosting foods because it contains something called beta-glucan. Beta-D-glucan is found in the mushroom. You eat the mushroom cap, right? So the lowly, lowly white button mushroom. Go to any grocery store. You can actually get it. Um, what do we normally do? We take it home. We cut it off the cap. We throw away the stem. Cap's got beta-glucan. Stem's got twice as much. Eat the stem, cook with the stem, peel off the, I mean, trim off the very end piece. It's kind of dry and kind of cruddy looking, but, but eat the rest of it. Um, uh, and that's immune, that, that, that stimulates your immune system as well. You know, there's so many dishes and so many cultures that you cook with the stem. If you don't like the idea of just eating the stem, save them up. You can freeze them if you want, um, and then blend them up and you can create a mushroom soup out of it. Soup that's a great idea. So is there one kind of mushroom that's more have healthier, more nutritious than others? Or are they all the same? Yeah. So, so uh, this is what I love. About, I, first of all, I love mushrooms, but I love the story of mushrooms too, right? Because they're, they're basically wild, you know? Yeah. Mushrooms don't naturally grow on farms. Like you have to put them on logs, <laughs> right. but right. they naturally grow in the forest, right? Um, uh, let me just tell, tell this, say this because it's important. Don't be wandering around the woods picking your own mushrooms. <laughs> a lot of poison ones. Um, but uh, when you go to the grocery store or farmer's market and you let the foragers kind of do all the work for you, and they do have mushroom farms, um, all the research that showed the benefits of mushrooms started by looking at the lowly white button mushroom. Okay, so regular plain white mushroom you find everywhere. That works. Now let's get interesting. What about these other mushrooms? Which one has more? Shiitake, more than white butt mushrooms. More beta-glucan. What's better than shiitake mushrooms is um, chanterelle mushrooms. The mm. golden summer yes. chanterelle, which, you know, if you've ever gone, if you've ever tried around Europe and uh, been lucky enough to actually, you know, eat some of the seasonal summer chanterelle mushrooms, they're tiny little guys. They just saute them with a little shallot, little garlic, chop up some you know, chives and fresh herbs and just skillet them like literally for like maybe 15 seconds on a hot skillet. And you wind up having this incredible um, mushroomy, earthy, beautiful golden chanterelle um, uh, flavor. You can make soup out of it too. So the chanterelle has got even more than shiitake. So again, start with the white button mushroom, you know, and, but you can graduate your way up. I love that. How about oyster mushrooms? I love oyster also mushrooms. Also got a lot. Also, king puppet mushrooms. Also, you you mentioned the broccoli sprouts, the babies. Is that easy? It, is that easy to find? You know, it didn't used to be. 
um, uh, I used to have a hard time finding anything other than the old school bean sprouts. But now yeah. you go to most grocery stores, I mean, not just the fancy ones, but even like the regular grocery stores. If you ask the produce manager, that's what I always do. I when I, when I can't find something I'm looking for, I, I just ask the produce manager, do you have any of this? And they're like, oh yeah, it's over there. Um, uh, I, I'm starting to find broccoli sprouts, um, uh, arugula sprouts, you know, like all kinds of different sprouts. Really? I used to never see them. Yeah. So I think they're just becoming, they're, they are seasonal though. Like, so you'll find them like earlier in the season. And what do I, how, how do you cook? Do you cook the broccoli sprouts uh, or you eat them raw? You put them in a salad. Loved, I'll tell you what I loved about broccoli, uh, broccoli sprouts. So you, you, you get them. They're just three to four day old sprouts. Sometimes they're hydroponically grown. So they're not even, there's no dirt mm. off anyway. And simple thing you can do. You can just peel some out and they're, 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 they're little threads. And you can just drop them onto a salad. They add this like nice nutty flavor to the salad. Um, or you can take a big mound of them and you can pop them into a blender, make a smoothie out of them. It's great. It's just, it's so great. You can um, make a, you can add them into soup, you know, like just puree them and blend them up. So many different ways. And, you know, you can tell from uh, what we're talking about, like I, I, I love to cook. I love to. You seem super passionate about this, and you yeah. all like you know what you're talking about in terms of even the preparation stuff. Not even just the research on what the benefits are nutrient wise, but you seem to know like you're, it sounds like you like are you, you enjoy the, the process of cooking. I love I love the process of cooking. I love exploring the flavors of foods, and that's you know part of what gives me joy is actually just. Um, loving the things that I already love. I like to keep um, up with those, but I love to also try new things that I haven't tried before just to see what's new and what's out there. And, and, you know, like there's nothing that gives me more lights me up more than trying something that somebody says, Hey, you should try this. And, you know, somebody I trust obviously. And right. um, I don't want to get punked, <laughs> so, um, but I try and I'm like, wow, that is amazing. Um, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one, because I know we're, since we're talking about it, it'll make you think about it to go out to find it. Have you ever heard of something called Botarga? No. B what is that? B-O-T-T-A-R-G-A. Botarga. Um, you can look it up online. It is, um, a dry piece of fish egg. Uh, like 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 a mound of fish eggs, and it comes like wrapped in wax, and sounds kind of weird. Um, but I was um, talking to a friend of mine who's Italian. He said, "Oh, you got to try this because like we eat in Italy all the time." And I'm like, "Well, what's it like?" And he said, "You got to try it because until you taste it, you won't know what it's like." So he made some pasta for me, um, a little bit of olive oil, and then all he did is he took out the botarga, which I don't know, it's like a like a giant eraser like a rubber eraser and using the same grate that you use for parmesan cheese he just grated it right over the pasta like little tiny little flakes man i can't tell you how good this was it just it was like melt in your mouth umami flavor not fishy it's just it's like it, it, it's a it's a flavor that just it it just fills your whole mouth with tastiness and is packed with omega-3 fatty acids wow okay i'm, I'm gonna look for that you have got so much great information. I, I just, I'm just amazed. Uh, can you tell me about frozen veggies actually? Cause I've heard that frozen veggies are much more nutritious 
And then, you know, I wanted to know if that was actually also just a myth, like frozen vegetables, frozen fruit, because they contain more of the nutrients when they freeze, like they, when they freeze it, that they, they they capture all the nutrients. Yeah. So, um, I actually did research on this, so I, I know a lot about it. Um, the idea is that when you pick a vegetable from the field and you bring it over to put into a truck and you transport it across, you know, the country or wherever, um, it's probably degrading its nutrients a little bit. Um, frozen foods actually, if they're flash frozen, meaning they're picked and pretty much brought up the field and flash frozen, they're going to lock in their nutrients in that particular way. That's not to say that the stuff that you're eating that's fresh isn't good for you. It means that you're probably getting closer to the field if it's properly flash frozen. That said, um, uh, you know, over time, like long frozen food will also degrade a little bit. Um, and yeah. the nice thing about, um, about frozen foods is that, you know, you could be in a food desert I mean, you could be in a truck stop, you can go to the frozen section, and sometimes you can find fro uh, 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 frozen veggies. And so sometimes that's the only kind of veggies you can actually get. I, what I tell people, though, is that, you know, like this, this whole kind of concept of if you can have local, organic, fresh food that hasn't transported mm. very far, yeah, that's the ideal. Um, most people go to the grocery store, and most of the grocery stores these days are offering the usual stuff, but more and more you're seeing them offering local stuff. Awesome. Go for that if you can. Seasonal if you can. Um, never, Don't be afraid of going to the frozen section um, uh, because sometimes you want to get a food, that a veggie that's not, or fruit that's not seasonal. You can find it frozen and you'll get their nutrients that way. Wow, that's good information. Um, it, and so it, with all of your research with um, the immune system, now you've been doing, I guess, over the last year, you've been focusing on COVID-19. Has there been any found like findings that you want to share, you can share as to even like, why is it or why was it? I mean, I would say because someone has a, a good immune system. Some people just never even, they were exposed to it. They never got it. Other people got it easier. Is it really just because of someone's strengthened steps that they'll have just a stronger immune system or? You know, Jennifer, the truth is we don't really know. Um, mm -hmm. COVID is a disease that we've only encountered on this planet in humans, you know, uh, for a little bit over a year. Um, and every time we think we have an understanding of COVID, it seems to throw another curveball at us and something new that we didn't know. So, you know, I'll tell you as, as somebody who's in the field doing the COVID research, and I've been doing this since the beginning of the lockdown, um, uh, we don't know why some, we don't really know why some people get it and get really sick. And some people who get it, they just kind of like just cruise right through and they don't get sick at all. Almost certainly it has something to do with our immune system. And so I think that's a good place to start in terms of thinking about what did we learn from this whole crazy year that we went through? You know, I think one of the things that we've learned, a couple of things we learned, number one, we, we've learned that doctors and hospitals can't do everything for us because a year ago in 2020, like there was nothing that you could get out of the hospital and a doctor other than a ventilator, you know? And so this taught, I think everyone that home is where health is, right? So we all came home, we all got reacquainted with our stovetops, our pantries, our refrigerators. We didn't 
to hang out in grocery stores, people like zipped out and zipped back with whatever they needed to get. And so I think that, you know, we started to become much more in touch with how we feed ourselves. Immunity is one of those areas that clearly food makes an impact on. So whether it's blueberries or broccoli or, or broccoli uh, uh, sprouts or um, uh, other immune boosting foods like tree nuts, you know, those are all things that um, olive oils. I mean, those are things that we can actually do for ourselves. Is it a is it a hundred percent shield? No, it's not. But is it? But something. But be, you know, sometimes it's that extra margin of strength that we have that can make the difference between whether we dodge the bullet or we or we like get it right in the face. Mm-hmm. So I, I so I actually think that. You know, one of the things that we learned is how important our immune system is. I think the research kind of doubled up, doubled down to try to figure out like what foods are actually really helpful for our immune system. And by the way, we also learned, I think almost everybody in the public learned something. We want better immunity, stronger immunity to ward off the coronavirus. And we want lower inflammation at the same time. Mm -hmm. Used to be people thought that well, inflammation is immune system. You want to, you want less of that. You want to fight your immune system, lower your inflammation. Again, sort of um, not like right idea, wrong interpretation. Mm. Inflammation is part of the immune system. You want good defense and you want to lower inflammation. Um, I was, I just took part in this uh, medical co- health conference, uh, research conference that the Vatican actually held, believe it or not. And um, oh wow, unites to prevent. And we heard this amazing series of lectures. I, I spoke about food as medicine. Um, Mark Hyman was there. The dean of the Friedman School of Nutrition, Dari Matsafarin, was there. Um, I did a really um, fun, meaningful. I had a great convo with uh, my friend Cindy Crawford. You know, we've we've been <laughs> for a long time. We were talking about, you know, how do you age healthy and how do you actually do sensible things to, to allow us to be beautiful on the inside as well as the out, because that's what's at the end, end of the day more important. But but as it relates to inflammation, one of the things that was really underscored is that, look, uh, inflammation is part of our body's protective system. We would need a little bit of it. What we what Where we run into problems when we have too much of it. So we also learned that there are some foods that can be anti-inflammatory. And so green tea, for example, is an anti-inflammatory food. That's really, it, it puts that whole idea that the fad concept of anti-inflammation into a brand new context, which is, yeah, that's, that's what I want. And also, like, to your point, I think like, infl- well, I think inflammation, though, is, is, a, is another one of these key terms that people now are talking about a lot. Um, you talk about tea in, in your book, and you, which is interesting to me about how about combinations, the, com- the, like the combinations of different teas are more effective than just like one off, so to speak. Um, and because you because you did talk about inflammation, could we just talk just a little bit more about ways we can reduce that inflammation? Besides, like talk about the tea, and then other ways we can we can limit our uh, inflammation. Yeah, well, well, I mean, it turns out green tea can reduce inflammation. It's also anti androgenic, so it can starve cancer. We've done research where we've actually um, combined teas and found that when you mix two blends of tea, like jasmine tea and Japanese sencha, you actually get a much more potent cancer starving tea. It's quite amazing that food combinations um, uh, can be so powerful, but that's also the future of food as medicine is that we don't eat foods one by one. 
we cook our foods together, right? Like we mix things together. When we serve a plate, it's got a lot of stuff on it. Even a salad's got a lot of stuff in it. So I think that's an exciting future um, to look at. But other ways we can actually lower, lower our inflammation. I mean, you know, there have been studies done around the world looking at a super inflammatory disease like lupus, right? It's an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. People who have mostly, a lot, mostly in women, um, and, and it's characterized by an overactive immune system where you get tons of inflammation, your joints hurt, your muscles hurt, you know, all kinds of, of, of challenges for these people. Um, uh, and, and it's been shown that if the more vitamin C you have, more that you get from food, the lower the flares and the lower the inflammation uh, in the body. So what are some of the vitamin C foods? Well, oranges, right? Like we know oranges, citrus will do it. But um, guava, red bell pepper, tomatoes, all great sources of vitamin C. Kiwi. And kiwi, another great source of vitamin C and good for your gut too. What are a couple, and then I'm going to leave you at this, but give me a couple of good food combinations that really make things that much more potent for your health. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Salsa made with fresh tomatoes and that have lycopene, which is fat soluble, dissolves in fat and guacamole, which has avocado, which actually has a healthy fat, which will help you absorb your lycopene from the tomatoes better. So that's a great example of- That's a good combo. That's a great combo. Um, a tomato sauce that is simmered in olive oil, mm. olive oil for the same reason of actually helping you absorb the lycopene. But I'm not done yet. You want to actually slice up some garlic. You saute it in olive oil and there's um, allicin and other natural bioactives in the garlic that will also mix with inside the tomato sauce. And why don't we just add some healthy herbs too, like basil. Cut up some basil. You could sprinkle it in there. Or if you don't want basil, you can put oregano in there. I love fresh oregano. And that's just the dried stuff. Like take fresh oregano. You got to peel off the leaves like thyme and just cut it up and you throw it in. It's got a completely different, much more subtle flavor. And now you've got a, a simmer it for 20 minutes, you know, like don't boil it, simmer it. And now you've got a sauce that actually um, research has shown can lower the risk of prostate cancer and breast cancer. And it's got all these other synergistic elements to it um, as well. I love that. And you can't just, can't you leave me with one thing that you're working on that's new, that's not in your book, that's not in your TED talk, and that you can talk about? I know you're working on something in a, I'll know in a year that will will help with weight loss and how foods and how it activates in your body. But well, one yeah, that you can. Yeah, no, I'll tell you. One, one of the things that I am really interested in is um, seafood that is healthy for you. Because I think that, like kiwi, seafood is also something that a lot of people aren't familiar with. M- some people have difficulty with fish. Like if you grow, if you grew mm-hmm. up inland, if you live inland, it's like, ah, I don't eat fish. You know, and, and then fish is fishy. People don't like that. But seafood is more than fish and not all fish is fishy. And so I'm starting to like really do some deep dives into looking at which fish is good. So salmon is obviously good. By the way, you know that it's got omega-3 fatty acids in salmon, right? It's an oily mm-hmm. fish. Do you know that most of the omega-3 fatty acids in salmon is in the skin? 
I heard that. I heard that, but I didn't know if that was true information or not. True. So if you're going to eat salmon to get all those good, I mean, if you like the taste of it, go ahead and eat it. And however you like (laughs) it, but if you want the healthy omega three fatty acids, what I what I tell people is. Find a way, find a restaurant that will do it this way or cook it or find or look on YouTube and figure out, get a video of how to do it. Um, Get that, keep that skin on and make it real crispy, nice and crispy skin. Okay. And now you've got that tender, juicy flesh, nice, crispy skin. Eat that whole thing together. Don't leave it in your plate. Don't peel it off. Eat it together. It's like, it's just a, it's a much better way of doing it. But I'm interested in what's better than, what's better than salmon, Right. Right. What's more, more potent? Well, it turns out that hake, which is a white hake, has got more omega three than salmon does. Where would you? Where can I buy that? Go to your fishmonger, you know, and and uh, go to, go to your, go to your seafood section and ask them where you can get cape hake. If you're actually um, uh, uh, if you live on a coast, as I know you do, um, you can you can find it easily in in a, in a fish market. Um, uh, you could also buy it frozen, frozen fish, flash frozen from the boat is also good. So you could, and there's now during the pandemic, all these seafood companies that actually do flash frozen fish that they will just overnight to your house. So you can actually order it overnight now. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, another fish that actually is got a lot of, um, uh, omega threes that are even more than salmon would be sea bass. Really? Oh Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, you know, they used to say Chilean sea bass, but that's a, that's not a sustainable fish to eat. Um, but regular sea bass is fine. So again, you know, like this, this whole sort of a matter of gradation and degrees, what you asked me about the tomatoes, oh, about mushrooms. Um, uh, there's they have every species, every variety of food has different, including seafood. So I'm looking at, okay, so what, um, oh, you know what? So it's got also, you're going to like this. What's more than... Um, Salmon is manila clams. Really? Has got more omega-3 fatty acids. So, and you can find a manila, manila clams in a, in a seafood. So how do you do it? I'll write you this know, down. Super simple thing. You've got a little plancha or griddle or just a pan. Put some uh, oil, cut up some garlic, get the oil real hot. Throw the, throw the um, uh, clams in there. Cover it up. Shake the pan a little bit to get the heat distributed and the clams will pop open. Okay. And just put a little white wine in there, cover it up. They'll open up all the way. You're done. Like 12 minutes. This is amazing information. I mean, again, for people who, uh, have not read or they should read for sure is eat to beat is is of course, Dr. William Lee's amazing New York times bestseller eat to beat disease. How else can people find out what you're doing? Because you're obviously working on extremely important, life-changing things that it can really help impact people. Yeah. um, Well, first of all, you can you can get my bookie to beat disease anywhere that books are sold, uh, including online. And um, anybody who wants to follow me, uh, I have a free newsletter that actually I keep on giving out every single week, sometimes a couple of times a week, new food facts and new like little tips you can use when it comes to a healthy food, just come to my website. It's Dr. Dr. William Lee, L-I.com. Dr. William Lee, Dr. William Lee, L-I.com. And you can follow me at Dr. William Lee on Instagram, Facebook. I'm out there. I'm always trying to put um, new information up. And one of the things that, you know, I would tell people to look for that I just started uh, a few months ago 
is I started do, doing these free masterclasses where, you know, like, and, and, and I was amazed at how popular these are. I, I, I just, you know, I'll, I'll throw up, I'll make an announcement of a masterclass and I'll have thousands of people sign up for it. Um, from like, 22 countries with the last time and they'd come and they would just hear me talk about health defense systems and different foods and you know like my latest research and so uh, just come to my website follow me on social keep an eye out i, I do um i do these uh, uh master classes uh pretty much every other month sometimes a couple of times so um i'm gonna go to them yeah it'd be, it'd be a lot of fun to, ha to have you there i mean it's uh um, and I'm also, you know, doing an online course as well for people that are like hardcore, really want to change their lives. Um, uh, and, uh, um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, for me, my mission is to really help spread the word in ways that are meaningful to people, um, as, as widely as I possibly can. Uh, and, um, so I appreciate the opportunity to come on to talk about it on habits and hustle. Absolutely. And also, I want you to, if, if it's all right with you, I'd love to have you back because, I mean, you will believe this, but I only got through half of my questions. <laughs> love to come back anytime. Just uh, let me know when. Habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind. Don't stop. Keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out. Hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries. Tune in. You can get to know them. Be inspired. This is your moment. Excuses. We ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle podcast powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.